Good morning, Ohana. Hope all of you are doing well. Um, Before we jump in this morning, I have a story slash confession um, to make. So when me and my wife, my lovely wife in the back back here started dating, I thought dating was the work. Like I thought marriage, because the Bible verse says to become one, like so dating was the hard part, yeah? Like I would get somebody that would cook clean and make my bed for me when I got married. Yeah, all the guys are laughing because they're like, dude, you were, that was a stupid move. Yeah, I realize that now, but, but back then I was like dreamer. I was like the, the dreamer style, like, oh, my needs are met when I say I do, yeah? That's not true. <laughs> the echo of the laugh comes from the back. But... But there's still work that needs to be involved even after you say I do, yeah? So even though we are one spiritually, there's still some internal problems that we got to figure out, amen? We all, we all experience those. Most of them come with a, a slipper across the room, yeah? So, but, but if, you're, if you've been with us, we're in a series in Nehemiah called Rebuild. And the reality truth for this is God will do what he needs to do to fix our eyes on him. Say that again with me. God will do what he needs to do to fix our eyes on him. So if you have your Bibles, if you could turn with them with me to Nehemiah 6. And we'll be, we'll be looking at verses 15 and 19. So once you're there, if you could go ahead and stand with me in the reading of God's Word. And so, as, as people are turning there, bear with me, because I'm not a scholar in names of foreign countries. Amen? All right. Verse 15. Everybody there? So the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month of Eul in, the tw- in 52 days. And when all of our enemies heard of it, All the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem. For they perceived that the work had been accomplished with the help of our God. Moreover, in the days of the nobles of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah, and Tobiah's letters came to them. For many in Judah were bound by oath to him, because he was the son-in-law of Shanachiah and the son of Ari. And the son of, and his son, Jothathan, had taken the daughters of Methuselah, the son of Barakada, his wife, and they spoke his good deeds in the presence. And I reported my words to him. And Tobiah sent letters to make me feel afraid. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for where we are in Nehemiah so far. Lord, but may we learn from where you have us today. You have sovereignly placed us in Nehemiah 6 this morning. So may we open our ears and hear the word of God preached. In your name I pray, amen. You may be seated. Before we get into um, the actual text, what I want us to do is I want us to review And not just review what we've preached for the last six weeks, but I want us to see where we are in the history 
of the nation of Israel. So this is what I entitled the historical review, but, but really it's just a timeline of what got us to this point of where Nehemiah said, the wall is finished. So God makes the promise to Abraham in Genesis 12. Everybody knows that promise. Through you, the nations will be blessed. That was around 1700 BC. And then a lot of things happen, but then Israel enters the promised land. They set up the temple in 1960 BC. God sent prophets. uh, When they set up the temple, God sent prophets after that to warn the nation of Israel that they were breaking covenant. So after the temple was built, there was a time period where they were walking with the Lord, but then they would turn their backs on the Lord and walk away from him. We do this in our everyday life. That, that we walk with God for a season and then we'll, they'll turn their backs on him. So God sent prophets to the nation of Israel to say, turn back to God, repent. And so sometimes they did, but then there was a season where they never, they never listened to the prophets of old, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Ezekiel. And so God in, in 6, 605 B.C., God used the Babylonians to come and wipe out the nation of, or the, of Jerusalem, the nation of Israel and Jerusalem, because they had been unfaithful to the covenant of God. So God sent the Babylonians to come and wipe out the nation of Israel because they wouldn't listen to his covenant. That should be a warning for us, number one. This is not part of the sermon, but that should be a warning for us as we as we come to church in the, for a season and then back out for a season, that God can use worldly forces to influence us. So God disciplined his people with 70 years of cap- captivity under the nation of Babylon. So during this time, though, we have to understand that not only did Babylon change, that the world government changed. So, so Babylon was overthrown by the Persians. And so that's kind of where we are in Nehemiah today. That when you, when you read the prophet Daniel, Daniel was at the beginning of the Babylonian ca- uh, captivity with ne- King Nebuchadnezzar. Now we're in um, Artaxerxes with the Persian Empire. So that's where we are. I just kind of wanted to give a brief history of the redemption story leading up to today. And so then you have Nehemiah that was called from this captivity by God to go build the wall. Then Nehemiah prayed for two months, and then Nehemiah went. That's significant because because our historical truth for us today is, is the one we've had all six weeks, any great movement throughout history has always begun with a movement of prayer. Amen? Every great movement throughout history has always begun with a movement of prayer. We've seen this in Ohana Church. This church was started on a movement of prayer. We see the great revivals. Those were started on a movement of prayer. Which leads us to our our first couple points this morning. Number one, we see the Christ in the wall physically. Christ in the wall physically. So when we look at Nehemiah, verse 15, so the wall was finished. Guys, for this first six chapters, it's all been about the wall. 
but we know the book keeps on going. So, so there must be more work for Nehemiah than just the wall. This is the Palhana time. This is the three o'clock on Friday when everybody's like, no, work's done. We're going home. But listen to how fast this work was done. This was done in 52 days from August to October in our calendar year. 52 days it took him to rebuild this wall. And there, there should be a picture of the wall up on the screen now. But this, mall, this wall, so I'm going to scoot over here. So this is the old wall. This is what the historians believe is the old wall. This is the new wall that Nehemiah was working on. So as you can see, not only did he just repair some of the wall, he actually had to build some wall. They said it was two and a half miles long. It was the wall that he built. For the people, for the math people in here, two and a half miles divided by 52 days is 253 feet a day of a wall that is 14 foot high and up to five feet wide. Where's my rock, rock wall builders in here? Let's see some production like that. Yeah, in the back over there. Let's see some production like that. 253 feet a day. That's unheard of. That's, that, that can only be of a God. And that's what he says. Nehemiah accomplished this task with the help of, the God, with the help of God. Verse 16 says this. It was done so efficiently that the kingdoms around Jerusalem were terrified. They were terrified because they knew God was working in their midst, but they weren't a part of it. They knew all the stories of the past, and they weren't a part of it. If I was the nation of Persia, and I know what happened to Egypt from the first part of history, Israelite history, I would be terrified because God starts to move in this section of, in, in this nation once again. There's a verse in the New Testament, and it's very popular, um, especially around, among us as staff, but it says this, faithful is he who calls, for he will surely do it. This wall is a perfect example of that passage, that as God called Nehemiah, he was faithful for in the building of the wall. But one of the biggest pictures here is that, the, that as Nehemiah says, the wall is finished. There's no celebration. There's no party. There's no potluck like we would do for Ohana Church, which there's been plenty of recently, at fixing up this building. Because though the wall was what called Nehemiah into ministry, Nehemiah's ministry didn't stop at the wall. Let me say that again. Though the wall is what called Nehemiah into ministry, Nehemiah's ministry didn't stop at the completion of the wall. Because everything went well. Like, think about this. No, even though how fast we went, Nehemiah still faced attacks. Like, we couldn't even accomplish this if everything went perfectly. Amen? There's no way we would build a two and a half mile wall. Like the planning that goes on in this county and even the fact that now apparently we have to have 
building permits to put an AC in the window, like that itself takes longer than 52 days. Like I don't know if you're in the building industry here, but that takes more than 52 days. And Nehemiah accomplished the wall. But I want to, I want to see a couple types of, the two types of attacks Nehemiah faced. The two types of attacks Nehemiah faced. The first type is external conflict. And we see that in verses 1 through 4. So turn with me and let's look at 1 through 4. Now when Samblot and Tobiah and Jesim, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies, and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left in it, although up until that time I had not set up the doors or in the gates. Samblot, Samblot and Gesem sent to me saying, Come, let us meet together at Hakarim in the plain of Ono. But they intended to do me harm. And I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should, I, why should work stop while I leave it and come down to you? See, the first type of external conflict is compromise. These guys have been all through, I, in my mind, I label these guys the three stooges because they're always coming after Nehemiah. This started in chapter 2, that they want Nehemiah to stop this work that he's accomplishing. That they, they said, you're going to adventure out and do that? You're crazy because it will never work. So while the wall is being completed, these guys are like, no, Nehemiah, look, Look, I know we we wanted you to come all the way to us. How about we do this? How about we meet in the middle in the plain of Ono? And then that way we can, that we'll be halfway each. But see, this this is his argument. This is, they wanted him to be distracted. Because if you can't beat them, then cause them to fall from the inside. That was their tactic here with their compromise. So my question for us is how do Christians fall into compromise today? How do we as Christians fall into the temptation of compromise? Well, there's a couple ways we can do that. One of the main ways we can compromise is our time spent together as a family. I only go to church half, per, half of the time. You know, well, especially during football season, we'll have people, I know the schedule of football games due to who shows up at church. Well, this week I'm, I'm going. Next week I've got football. So we see compromise happen with the attendance of church. That's one of the biggest ways. But we see compromise and judgment and moral character that God has established. My son is in high school. High school. It's okay if he drinks because everybody else is doing it. My birthday is one day a year that I get all bust up. I get absolutely plastered. But it's okay because it's only that one day. See, here's a reality truth for us. If we have to justify our actions, you are already in a position of compromise. If you have to justify your actions to either God the Holy Spirit, 
the leaders of Ohana Church, if you have to justify your spiritual actions, you're already set up in a position of compromise. Because you've already said, the word of God is true, but, but this is how we live life nowadays. This is, this is just who we are. It's a position of compromise. Secondly, we see slander. This happens in verses 5 through 7. I'm not going to read all of this. But what he does is, Tobiah didn't like his answer. So what did he say? What does he, Tobiah say here? Well, I'm going to write an open letter to you, the governor, and I'm going to read it as I bring it to you. So what does that mean? That's like saying like something that should be secret. Something that should be kept secret. A letter from a, a Jewish official to the uh, governor should be kept secret. He was putting on public. And it wasn't even that. It was false public. Slander. The, the definition of slander is actually the action or crime of making a false spoken statement damaging a person's reputation. Verse 7 says like this. No, verse 6. It, it is written, in it was written, it is reported among the nations, and Jesim also says it, that you and the Jewish intend to rebel. That, it, that is why you're building the wall, and according to those reports, you wish to become their king. It's false news. So how does slander affect us as Christians today? How does slander affect... Well, slander is normally a leadership role position. So normally you do not attack the workers. If you get mad at McDonald's for serving you the wrong food, you don't attack the guy at the drive-thru. You attack the owner of the McDonald's. You see what I'm saying? So, so slander is something that, that goes to leadership. That's why it's important to pray for your leaders, because we have false things said about us constantly. Your kahus, the alakai, but also leaders inside our own government. Leaders, we should be constantly praying for leaders within us, because they take the role that is most likely to be slandered against. Because Satan knows the easiest way to destroy something is fake news. Satan knows that the easiest way to destroy a ministry is fake news because it's not the leader that Satan really wants. Once you start accomplishing God's work among his people, Satan wants to destroy the ministry, not just the leader. But there's a second group I want to talk about that, that, has, that is very acceptable to slander. Slander. And I don't want to spend all my time here, but Men, single mothers, kids in high school, middle school, that age range is acceptable to slander. That is why seven of the ten kids, even in this room, once they graduate high school, they'll never come back to church. So mothers, fathers, people, Talk to your kids about this. Talk about how they're living a Christian life at school because that's where they're going to get the most pushback for being a Christian right now. 
And they're acceptable to walk away and never return. So talk to your kids about, about that. Like, be honest, be real with them, live life with them. But they should not just hear that from the leaders of the church. That's your responsibility as a parent. And then the third and final type of external conflict we see is threats. Threats can be blunt or secretive. They can be stab you in the front or stab you in the back. Look what it says here. This comes from uh, Nehemiah 10. I'm at 610. When the prophet says, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. Let us close the doors for the temple for they are coming to kill you. They are coming to kill you by night. But I said, should, should such a man as I run away? No. See, there's threats among us. We live in a society that we do not see many threats. The worst threat we have is we might lose our job most of the time. Like for, for I know people in the school system here, they're very protective about separation of church and state. So you, you could lose your job, but that's really all the threat. We don't, we don't have to worry about people like the, the country of India or Afghanistan or Pakistan where you get killed for meeting and following Christ. The threats here are nothing because God is faithful. Even if you lose your job, God is faithful. But the persecuted church, you lose your life for following Christ. So that's where we see threats come out. So we, we really don't deal with that often. Amen? I mean, I don't know. I have not heard a testimony of anybody even close to losing a job for the sake of Christianity in this room. But there's people, we got to remember there's brothers and sisters around the world that are. And that leads us to the second form of attack. And this is the one that we most deal with the second uh, form of attack is internal confusion. How did this happen in this passage? Intrigue. This is out of verses 17 and 19. The people Nehemiah was leading to build the wall, those people that Nehemiah was leading to build the wall was also praising the man that was trying to take Nehemiah out of his position. They were writing letters back and forth saying, Nehemiah is doing this. Come get him. But Nehemiah was leading them every single day to the wall to defend and build their protection. You see, these people were bound by oath to them. And the definition of intrigue is to make secret plans to do something illicit or detrimental to somebody or someone. Intrigue. Verse 19, and Tobias sent letters to make me afraid. You see, you see this a lot when people are not all in on the mission. You see this a lot when people are, I'm only 50% into this. I are one-seventh. Oh, I'll, I live for Jesus one out of the seven days of a week. You see, and, and then these people get caught up in the newest fads. 
the prosperity gospel or syncretism or secularism where I can do whatever I want because Jesus died for me. The, that I have his forgiveness so I can live however I want. So that's how you see, that's how you see intrigue happen in this passage. But what's interesting, what's interesting about this passage right here? I got to watch out for the drum set behind me. I've about fell twice. The question is this. Why after the wall was built, if, why after the wall was built, was Nehemiah still getting attacked? I mean, you would think the attack would come in the process of building the wall, yeah? You would think that the attacks would happen at the beginning, before it even started, to, to cripple this. So why is it still happening after, after the wall was finished? Because the wall is, the wall is more important than just the physical wall. There was something bigger going on than just this wall Nehemiah has built. We say it like this at Ohana Church. Everything physical is the result of things spiritual, amen? Everything physical is the result of things spiritual. So now let's look at the second point for this morning. Christ in the wall spiritually. Christ in the wall spiritually. So how does this wall that was built 2,500 years ago affect you? Affect you. Affect you. How does this affect my life here today? So my question that you can answer either in the comments on Facebook or here, what's the purpose of a wall? What's the purpose of having a wall? For protection? To keep things out? Yeah, both of those are good. What else? What else? Start throwing me stuff. What else can you use a wall for? Security? How about this? Status? Because, I mean, we have a cheap wall out here. But, you know, if some of our members wanted to build a really nice rock wall, that would up our status a little bit, yeah? And then also to claim an area. It's a barrier. So we have a wall here that goes around the property. It claims the area that Ohana Church rents as its own. So let, let's look at this. This is what I got down. We got protection. We got to claim an area to, for status. A wall made out of gold is a whole lot better than a wall made out of rocks. Yeah? And covering. Covering. So protection. Let's, let's look at a wall spiritually for protection. Psalms 18.2 says this. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. My God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, where I find my protection, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. Christ is your protection. To claim an area, he, this is Ephesians 1, 2, 1, 5, he predestined us to, for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. God chose you. He claimed you as his area. 
Status. Status. As, as we look at this wall spiritually, status. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into the marvelous light. 1 Peter 2, 9. And this last area where I really want us to camp out today. Covering. Covering. Galatians 3, 26 through 29 says this. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you... For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Here is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And you are Christ. Then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. That's a long passage. But verse 27 says this. In the Christian Standard Bible, for those of you who were baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ. So that's the covering. Now, we have been clothed with Christ. Listen, this clothing is your justification. This clothing is God declaring you right. Because one day we will stand before a judge. We will stand before the perfect, righteous judge, God the Father. And he's going to ask you questions. He's going to ask you how you lived up to the Ten Commandments. Lying. Have, were you a liar? And you have to plead guilty. Adulterer. Guilty. Stealer. Guilty. Did you disobey your parents? Guilty. Are you a murderer? Guilty. And when the great cloud of witnesses around the throne all know the outcome, this dude is guilty. The gavel falls innocent because of the blood of Jesus was covering you. The blood of Jesus that washes away the sins. Think about that. You are guilty on all counts. but you got the wall of protection around you. Just like Nehemiah finished, you have the wall of protection around you. Let's look back at Nehemiah for a second. After the wall was built, was there still attacks? Yeah. There were still attacks. You're still going to deal with a bunch of crap on the inside. Actually, the wall had a gate called the dung gate that was built to get all the junk out. As Christians, we need our own dung gate. We got to go to the throne of God and repent of all the junk that's in our hearts. That's got to get out. There's still eternal conflict happening inside. There's external problems that we're going to face. But we are complete in Christ. You see, the wall was more than just the wall. The wall was a return of the promise. The promise that God made Abraham. That, that through you, the nations of the earth will be blessed. 
You see, that promise, that, that Abrahamic promise was a fulfillment of Genesis 3.15, which is that even though this was a promise God made to the serpent. So after Eve took the fruit, God told the serpent, through the woman's offspring, though you will bruise his heel, he will crush your head. Jesus is the fulfillment of that promise. And so as we look at our lives today, if Nehemiah never built the wall, never returned to the promise, we would never have Jesus for ourselves. We would not experience that covenant relationship with Jesus because Nehemiah never fulfilled the work. Listen, I have full belief that God the Father had you, had you, had you written on his heart when he called Nehemiah to build that wall. When he called Nehemiah to build that wall, even though you're guilty of lying, adultery, whatever, he had you written on his heart. As we end today, our biblical truth. Nehemiah knew that the work would not be over until the offspring of woman, the fulfillment of the promise of Abraham, came and declared, it is finished. You see, Nehemiah was never finished with the wall. Nehemiah never celebrated because he knew he couldn't fulfill the words, it is finished. That's the beauty of the gospel. But that blood that has us covered, written in, written in that blood, is, it is finished. To Tetelestai, paid in full. Whatever's underneath is now covered by the blood of the Lamb. Is there still internal conflicts happening? Yeah, take care of that. Take care of that. Not because you have to, but because you're living out of the overflow of the blood that covers you. Amen? So how should we respond today? How should we respond? Well, just like this series, we respond in prayer. We respond in prayer. But my prayer is different. I want us to respond in prayer by abiding. Abiding. A.W. Tozer says this. God must do everything for us. Our part is to yield and trust. There's, a, there's been a saying, like even as I wrote this, there was a saying that kept ministering to me. And it's by Charles Spurgeon. And it says, I have learned to kiss the wave that throws me onto the rock of ages. We all know the old hymn, Rock of Ages, Cleft for Me. It's, he said, I have learned to kiss the wave. So the wave, we've all been stuck in a wave. Embrace it because it clings to Christ. Abide in the wall. Some of us on Sunday, we're like, oh, we need the wall. So we're going to come and hide within the wall. But then on Monday, we're like, shoots, let's go. And then walk outside of the wall without protection, without covering. And we're like, why the crap are we getting attacked like we are? Why am I, keep, why am I failing so much? Because you left the protection that God had in store for you. You follow me? You can't do this alone. You've got to have Christ. And though he's with you always, 
How many of us volunteer to be like, no, we got this by ourselves throughout the week? Abide in that wall, man. Love the wall because in it you'll find refuge. In it you find protection. In it is the blood of Jesus that washes away every sin. In it is life and life abundantly. Amen, church? So don't forget as, we, as Ian comes up, actually, let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for today. Lord, as we studied in Nehemiah, Oh, the blood that washes me. Lord, thank you for the blood that covers us from head to toe. Lord, thank you for the armor that that blood prepares, the the helmet of salvation. Lord, the, the shoes of the gospel of peace, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the, the sword of the spirit. Lord, thank you for that covering. Lord, even though we fail that covering and we think we've got it, figure it out, just like I did in marriage. Oh, this is, the, this is the easy part now. And we walk out and do our own thing. Lord, thank you for your blood that we can run back to and embrace and dwell in, Lord. Lord, we love you and we thank you. In your name we pray. And all God's people said amen. So yeah, abide this week. Abide in God. How do you abide in God? Read. Read scripture. Meditate on scripture. Feast on scripture. What does that mean? That means you don't zip through it and be like, oh, I'm done. But you chew on it throughout the day. Being a farmer, there's interesting things when I grew up. Cows actually regurgitate what they've eaten and eat it again. Do that this week. Once you read it, read it again. Read it again. Pray. Last week, Kahuzik said, find accountability. And then lastly, we have the family worship guide also that will be up later. So abide in Jesus this week, amen?